Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hopeflish teaching on Song of Songs. Arise, warrior bride, the glory of the Lord of hosts is upon you. Tonight is a very important chapter and may be divided into two parts. We'll see how Holy Spirit will lead us. We had quite a lot of sound destructions today and the children were not easy and there was just strife and problems. And it's no wonder because we are into the subject of the dancing warrior bride. It's not learning about spiritual warfare, it's doing it now. So we welcome you Holy Spirit, you're our comforter and our counselor and our teacher. Please come and remind us of everything Jesus said to each one of us in our own quiet times. We praise and thank you, Abba Father, for what you've done for us. We rejoice in your love for a broken, sinful, hurting world. You loved us, the people of the world, so much that you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, Messiah, to pay the price for our sins by dying on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, our bridegroom, that you were willing to take our punishment and pay the full price to make us your brides. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us how to love Jesus. You turn us from outcasts into warriors, into mature brides in Christ Jesus. Give us ears tonight to hear what the Spirit says and give us eyes to see what the Spirit wants to show us. We cry out for wisdom and understanding of your mysteries in your word. In Jesus' name. I pray the blood of Jesus over every person listening tonight, over your home, your family, everybody staying there with you, your pets and your plants. I draw a wall of fire around each person and their workplace, their homes, wherever they stay. We thank you, Lord, that there is warring and ministering angels present with each listener tonight. And we cover ourselves with the blood of Jesus and we've put on the armor which our Father God has made for each one of us. Amen. So let us listen to the text of chapter 6, The Warrior Bride. He comes as the bridegroom in love. Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. O my love, you are as beautiful as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep which have come up from the washing. 
Everyone bears twins, and none is barren among them. Like a piece of pomegranate are your temples behind your veil. There are sixty queens and eighty concubines, and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, the favorite of the one who bore her. The daughters saw her and called her blessed, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Who is she who looks forth as the morning, fair as the moon, clear as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? I went down to the garden of nuts to see the verdure of the valley, to see whether the vine had budded and the pomegranates had bloomed. Before I was even away, my soul had made me as the chariots of my noble people. Return, return, O Shulamite! Return, return that we may look upon you. What would you see in the Shulamite, as it were, the dance of the two camps? Chapter 6 The Dancing Warrior Bride He comes as the bridegroom in love. Remember last time in chapter 5, she was looking for him because she failed to open the door and then she went looking for him and then she met her friends, the daughters of Jerusalem again and she asked them if they haven't seen him. And then they asked her, what is he more than any other beloved? Why is he so special? Why are you so passionately seeking for him? It's actually like we say, what do you see in him? And then she told them. And she did it so well. She spoke from her intimacy that their next question was, where is he? And that's what we should do when we speak about him and tell people about your beloved. Do it in such a way that they will say, where is he? Where can I find him? The enemy's tactic was to make the bride focus on the difficult time of rejection, pain and suffering that she was going through in chapter 5. And so it is with us week after week. The enemy wants us too to focus on the lockdown, on the economy that's spiraling downwards, on loneliness, on the virus, and fear of sickness and death. How do we deal with this? By following the shepherd girl's actions. She started reciting God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love, and his promises, as we read in Hebrews 13 verse 5, where he said, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, or leave you, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. That's the only way to make the enemy's tactics fail. Because once she started reciting God's characteristics, she gained courage. Her spirit, and your spirit, will regain strength to praise and worship Him again for who He is. He's your beloved, and He is your friend. I believe that by now you can say that. David is another good example to follow. He often started with his complaints and his fears and then in the end he would turn his focus back to God. There's many Psalms 
about that. Specifically Psalm 2. Read it. So, in chapter 6 verse 1, the daughters ask, Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with you? We see the conversation from chapter 5 continues. At that time their question was, What is he? Now they ask, Where is he? The Holy Spirit has been at work. All we have to do is witness, and he convinces. The daughters start to walk along the same road that the bride did back in chapter 1 when she asked, Where do you feed your flock? However, they are not yet seeking their personal bridegroom. They are looking for hers, the bride's. But at least the process has begun. The daughters felt a stirring in their hearts while the bride was giving her testimony. It was powerful because she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she has personal experience of intimacy with Him. This anointing rests in and on her for a long time and the daughters notice and experience a taste of it. They may not know exactly what it is yet, but their spirit recognizes the spirit of Christ because, as the Lord says in Psalm 42, 7, deep calls unto deep. In Matthew 22, verse 2 to 14, Jesus tells the parable of the wedding feast to demonstrate the kingdom of God to his disciples. He ends in verse 14 with, For many are called but few are chosen. Let us read that parable because it's very important for the time such as this. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son and sent his servants to summon those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they refused to come. Again he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, Behold, I've prepared my banquet. My bullocks and my fat calves are killed, and everything is prepared. Come to the wedding feast. But they were not concerned and paid no attention. They ignored and made light of the summons, treating it with contempt. They went away, one to his farm, another to his business. While others seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and put them to death. On hearing this, the king was infuriated, and he sent his soldiers and put those murderers to death, and he burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is prepared, but those invited were not worthy. So go to the thoroughfares where they leave the city, where the main roads and those from the country end, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out on the crossroads and got together as many as they found, both bad and good. So the room in which the wedding feast was held was filled with guests. But when the king came in to view the guests, he looked intently at a man there who had on no wedding garment. And he said, Friend, how did you come in here without putting on the appropriate wedding garment? And he was speechless, muzzled and gagged. Then the king said to the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him into the darkness outside. There will be weeping and grinding of teeth. For many are called, invited and summoned, but few are chosen. 
Many refers to the church, the daughters of Jerusalem, and few is a reference to the bride. All who are saved are called. Remember John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all who might believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So all who are saved are called. But the bride gets chosen. She was chosen because she was willing to go and seek him for who he is and to be set apart for intimacy with him. Many are also called or invited, but they do not want to come. The Church of Christ receives the first invitation, of course. But if the Church is not serious about the wedding feast with him and does not respond to it, then he will not find her worthy of it. Then the unchurched, both good and bad, will respond and attend it. Everyone who takes his invitation to the wedding feast seriously and answers the call receives his wedding garments, without which you may not enter. Jesus himself said that if you try to sneak in without the wedding garments that he supplies, you will be bound and thrown out into darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord is constantly calling his corporate bride together. Beloved, even tonight, he is still waiting at your door and calling, Open for me, my love. There are many who know the voice of God to a certain extent, but there is a lack of total devotion. Could it be because they know that there is a price to be paid to enter the king's chamber and they are unwilling to pay it? Oh, my brother, my sister, let this not be the case with you. Jesus knew this. That's why he advises us to count the cost before we enter the king's chamber. Luke 14, 26 to 28. There he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother in the sense of indifference to or a relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude towards God, and likewise his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not persevere and carry his own cross and come after and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wishing to build a farm building does not first sit down and calculate the cost? to see whether he has sufficient means to finish it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is unable to complete the building, all who see it will begin to mock and jeer at him, saying, This man began to build and was not able or worthy enough to finish. And that's what's happening today. People do not count the cost to carry their own cross. And halfway, when things do not work out the way they thought or expected it to, they stop. And people see that, and they mock, and they say, look at them. He couldn't continue. He couldn't finish. It must be because it's not the truth. 
Jesus goes further with the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. Again, he takes a wedding as his example. He also did his first miracle at a wedding. He does all this to make us understand he is a bridegroom and he is coming for his bride. So in Matthew 25 we read, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be linked to ten virgins who took their lambs and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, thoughtless, without forethought, and five were wise, sensible, intelligent, and prudent. For when the foolish took their lambs, they did not take any extra oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil along with them also with their lambs. While the bridegroom lingered and was slow in coming, they all began nodding their heads and they fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lambs in order. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lambs are going out. But the wise replied, There will not be enough for us and for you. Go instead to the dealers and buy for yourselves. But while they were going away to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were prepared went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he replied, I solemnly declare to you, I do not know you. I am not acquainted with you. Watch therefore, beloved. Give strict attention. Be cautious and active. For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. I want to remind you there is a wonderful movie on uh, Facebook which kept, they keep on advertising it. It's called Before the Wrath. And it's a very wise title because before the wrath, what comes? The rapture. It's a documentary and it explains the pattern of a Jewish wedding again, as we did in chapter 1, I think. But he also gives a deeper insight that Jesus and his disciples were Galileans. And it's only in Galilee where they follow this up until today. Get a download and watch that documentary. It's really for a time such as now. We're still in verse 1 where the daughters named the bride the fairest among women. This means they recognize and sense the presence of God in her. Unlike the watchman of the city, who did not recognize it at all, the daughters bestowed the same title on her as the bridegroom did in chapter 1 verse 8. He called her, O fairest among women. They've seen the change in her, so they start to call her by the same title. They repeat their question. Twice they ask, where is he? Where is he? They are now serious about finding the answer. This is a prophetic word for this time. It is a season in which God is raising up and commissioning those who know him intimately. Yes, beloved, God is raising you up. He's commissioning you because you are studying Song of Songs. That's part of it. And he's going to teach you to know him intimately. 
So he wants to send you out. He wants others to see the evidence of your intimacy. They'll see it in the stability of your lives, no matter your circumstances, your relationship, your faith remains stable. And they will see it in your relationship with Jesus, because what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And it will give hope, hope to those whose lives have become a chaotic mess. These men, you brother, you sister, are the answer to these seekers' questions. You know, I wrote the book of Song of Songs in 2005. That's when I started, 2005 and six. And at that time, I felt, this message is so urgent. I would get so hot when I was writing it, really feeling like the rapture is in that same year. So how much more then is this message for a time such as now? It's 15 years later. And as I prepare week by week, it's like I'm doing this for the first time. There's a, a heaviness and a strong anointing as I have never felt before. I pray that you will just join in and experience the same. We find two types of believers in church. In chapter 6, verse 8 to 9, the bridegroom speaks of the 60 queens. We'll get to that in verse 8 and 9. 60 queens, 80 concubines, and crowds of young women. And then he says, But there's only one, my dove, my perfect one. He has eyes for only one. You see the way he teaches you to have dove's eyes, to have eyes only for him? He has eyes only for you. He has eyes only for that one among them all, and he crowns her. The bride is this first group. The brides are hidden in the church. We cannot say the church is the bride, because not everybody in the church is saved. Is a bride? No. But at least people are in church, and they get the word, and the word is like a hammer. But the brides recognize each other by their passion for Jesus and their yearning for holiness and they are quick to repent. So he hides his brides in different churches to keep the flame burning and he knows about them. The visible church is the second group. Everyone knows, hears and sees the daughters of Jerusalem the church is full of the daughters of Jerusalem. The first group, the bride, caught his attention when she asked in chapter 1, Tell me, O you whom I love, where do you feed your flock? Where do you make it rest at noon? The moment you ask him that, you have his attention. You see, she was not content simply to enjoy her salvation and involvement in the programs of the church. She wanted more. She wanted to reach further, deeper, to touch the bridegroom himself. And she did. And she paid a price. We saw that in chapter 5. The second group, the daughters of Jerusalem, they have an understanding of the things of God, or they know about Jesus and that, yeah, maybe, maybe he's coming back sometime. But they know only up to a point. 
They are content to go to church and enjoy the blessings of their salvation. Their theory goes something like this. This is as far as I'm willing to go. Here I'm going to stay. I do not see the point in going through everything that you did. Well, this was the position of the bride in chapter 2 as well. When she also did not want to go any further. So if you are there, do know that you identify with her. If you love him, he will not leave you there. He will let you experience the manifestation of his presence. There's quite a few testimonies coming in of people experiencing the manifestation of his presence. One person testified she woke up with the fragrance in her room and then she started smelling her clothes thinking maybe it's something in the material and then she realized it was him. Another lady woke up from her sleep and she found Jesus sitting on the bed and he was talking to her. I can't share all of it, it's intimate, it's behind the veil, but it's happening. So just ask. There's a second level of interpretation of the two groups in the church. That's the one we read in Matthew 25, the ten virgins, you see. They were all churchgoers, they all had oil lamps. That's what you get when you give your heart to the Lord. He gives you that as a symbol of your testimony. It's your menorah. And when they received it, it was filled with oil. But they did not get extra. You just get your menorah and the oil that's in it. The extra you've got to fill up with your own times of intimacy. That's like going on a testimony of 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, once when I was a teenager, I did give my heart to the Lord and that's it. Well, then you are backslidden. You never entered into intimacy. There's also no such thing as once saved, always saved. You have to have a testimony of a daily walk with Jesus. Have you never ever talked to him again since that day, 20 years ago? Then he can't be your God. Because your God is someone or something you think about every day. It's easy to do it with sport or friends or whatever your interests might be. Every day. Well, just the same in your relationship with Jesus. He should and must be the last one you talk to at night before you fall asleep. The first one you greet in the morning when you wake up. Because the fact that you woke up is a gift of God. But there's still breath in your lungs. So pour out your praise when you discover there's breath in my lungs. They both had their lamps. The bride knows how difficult it is to explain this principle. She also understands that the daughters are only focused on the advantages of being a Christian believer. I had a personal experience of that on one camp where a man, because he was touched, was so angry with me. Because I said the oil in your oil lamp is your intimacy with Jesus. He asked me, what about works? Of course, faith without works say nothing. But works won't get you into intimacy. And to explain that to others is not so easy. You've got to live it so they can see it. 
The idea of fellowship with Jesus had not crossed the daughters of Jerusalem's minds yet. So why are they getting interested? They see it in her. They are actually asking the bride, What is he other than someone who provides me with good employment, a beautiful house, security and health? I'm thankful to God for all of this and that's enough for me. Now doesn't that sound familiar? This is parallel to the question that the Samaritan woman at the well asked. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and who drank for it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? We did this before, John 4. But Jesus saw through all her talk. He saw her heart. And that's the trick we must all learn. Don't listen to the words. Tune inside. Ask Holy Spirit to give you insight into the person's heart. And Jesus saw that she was seeking intimacy through trying to find the best place of worship. She asked him, she said, The Jews says we must worship in Jerusalem. But the Samaritans say we can do it right here. Where is the place to worship you? And then it's the answer of Jesus is those wonderful words where he said, Women, there will come a time where people will not worship here or there in Jerusalem or in Samaria, or in the church, or in this place. God is spirit, and those who want to worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And if you worship him in spirit, the truth will be there. And then he added, and God is looking for worshippers like that. That's the bride. She can worship any place. She just quiets her soul and talks to Jesus. She became a bride at that very moment, although there was no teachings about the bride of Jesus at that time. But she left everything, rushes off and called all the others to come and see the prophet, the Messiah King. She's an example of 2 Timothy 2.19. The firm foundation laid by God stands sure and unshaken. It bears the seal of inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. How do we know through intimacy? So let everyone who names himself by the name of the Lord give up all iniquity, all sins, and stand aloof from it. See, that goes together. If you are in intimacy with him, you'll stop sinning. But if you are just like the daughters of Jerusalem, you know about him and that's enough, you'll go to church and you'll keep on sinning and you'll never enter into intimacy. That is the truth. That's the word of God. The bride answers the question of the daughters, but when she answers them, she does not tell them of everything he has done for her and has given her, although he did that. She's so lovely. She just tells them about him, who he is, what he looks like, and about his character. Her description is intimate because of all the time she spends with him. She has developed Dove's eyes. She's focused on him alone. Even through her time of suffering, she only wanted him. That's why her voice rings with authority as she describes him as the answer to every question. 
So she answers him in verse 2 and 3 and says, My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine, and he feeds his flock among the lilies. Remember, she was still looking for him when she came to her friends, and they asked her, What is he more than any other? and she started telling them about him. And as she talked about him, she suddenly knew where he is. He's in the garden. And she also knew what he was doing. He's busy doing what he always does. He's gathering lilies. He's making thorn bushes into lilies. And then she gets it. Verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. The answer has always been there, de deep, buried within her heart. It just rose up again when she described him. She instinctively realizes where he is to be found. In his garden. And then, I am his garden. Remember? Chapter 4. She now understands he never actually left her. It only felt as if he did. Romans 10, 8 is what happened to her. What does it say? The word, God's message in Christ is near you. It's on your lips and in your heart. That is the word, the message, the basis and object of faith which we preach. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, and in your heart you believe, adhere to, trust in and rely on this truth, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, and so is justified, declared righteous and acceptable to God, and with the mouth he confesses, declares openly and speaks out freely his faith and confirms his salvation. See, beloved, talk about Jesus. Your own ears need to hear it. He loves to hear it. The enemy hates to hear it. And if you speak it from your heart and with your mouth you confess, you are building up your own faith again. Nobody else can do that for you. And when you do this, it shifts the focus from yourself back to him. Whenever you find the enemy has got you running in circles, focusing on yourself and your performance towards Jesus, stop the bus. Focus on him. Talk about him. That will set you free to witness. The singular garden is the worldwide church, and the plural form represents the local churches that are all together in the great garden. Jesus sees the whole world as his great big garden. He called it his mountain of spices. And in this great garden, which is the whole world, there is many local churches. Together they are called the worldwide church. But they are not all, because the garden has more than churches. There are little flocks, groups of believers, home cell people, house churches, and lilies everywhere, every individual pure, bright. And the Father knows every church, every cell group, every denomination, and every ministry, and every prayer group, where his flocks that he is still bringing need to pasture.
He's looking for places to send his flock to. He also knows every individual believer, the lily, personally. And his aim with this love letter of Song of Songs is that every believer should come to know him intimately, on his or on her own, and not by just relying on walking with the flocks. That's what she said in chapter 1. Why should I be as one who goes with this flock and that flock looking for you? You need to ask him that you want an intimate relationship yourself with him. In the garden, the bridegroom enjoys many different spices and aromas. The aromas are symbolic of the different gifts that rest upon the different individuals or ministries, which he gave them, remember? Therefore, every individual or every lily, every ministry, every church or fellowship or group or garden develops its own fragrance as soon as they start functioning according to their God-given potential. I'm so joyful and happy and glad to see how many single lilies are just springing up all over South Africa and how they get the courage to just start making videos or just give the word they received or tell the dream and there's no fear of man anymore. They don't care whether they will be mocked or attacked or uh, lose their coverings or whatever. They just share from their intimacy. I've watched quite a few clips on Facebook now and, and, and it's every time you can see the freshness and you can hear and you feel that they've been with Jesus because the anointing and the authority is there although they don't belong to any great organization. These beds are inside the global garden. Jesus walks among the lampstands to see if they are still burning. Revelation 1. Remember, the seven lampstands, the seven churches. He's inspecting them. So in the same way, Jesus now walks in his garden, his worldwide garden, among the beds to inspect them and to enjoy their fragrance. He leads his flock there to these gardens because they need pasture and nourishment. He takes them to the same garden where he himself is planning to have a meal. Remember chapter 5. And he takes the time to just enjoy the love of his bride and to feast on all she offered him. Chapter 5 verse 1. This stands in stark contrast to chapter 2, 5, where she only wanted to be fed by him. Remember, feed me with cakes and raisins. She just wanted to be fed. Now he's feeding of her. Another prophetic meaning is the gathering of the thorn bushes that he transformed into lilies under his care. This is his first passion. His second passion is to nourish and strengthen the lilies until they become fully formed in him. This stage of maturity is reached the minute she declared, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The words are swapped around now. Remember chapter 2.16 she said, My beloved is mine and I am his. Now she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. 
The bridegroom wooed the girl all the way until she was able to say what he means to her. Beloved, are you there? Can you change the words, swap them around? Can you speak aloud when the enemy attacks you in your thought life? Oh, shut up in Jesus' name. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Nothing can change that. The fact that you know you actually belong to him must become very important to you and you must watch over that. That will help you not to fall in self-centeredness again, but to stay in God-centeredness. What does he say about me? The bridegroom was waiting patiently for her to reach this point of maturity, and now she has. He is overwhelmed with joy. He breaks the silence that has lasted for so long. The whole of period, five, uh, period of testing in chapter 5, remember? She passed the test. He reaffirms his love for her. He stood and he listened. What did she say about him to the daughters of Jerusalem? Remember we ended with, what does the people say about me? He knows what the people says, and then he wants to know, but you, what do you say about me? She can speak that. She can say who he is. She passed the test. So immediately, his manifestation of his presence is restored. She has praise and adoration, and he can't keep it in. And in verse 4 he says, Oh my love, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Tirzah is the capital city of the kingdom of the north of Israel, and it means beautiful. Jerusalem is the capital of the kingdom of the south, and it means peace, Salem. And this is where God's physical presence, his, his Shekinah glory descended in the temple. It's also the only city in which God commanded every believer to celebrate his Feast of Tabernacles. This is being done every year by the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, ICEJ. They do it as in a prophetic act of the future and they've done it since 1980. In the millennium, all the nations will go up to Jerusalem every year to attend this feast. You can read this in Zechariah 14, verse 16 to 17. So what is he telling you tonight? He says, my love, you are as beautiful as Jerusalem itself. If you've been there, you know there's no place as beautiful as the earthly Jerusalem. And that's only a shadow of the heavenly Jerusalem. There's three ways to interpret the city of Jerusalem. Prophetically, it is the bride. The bride is Jerusalem. You and I therefore also are Jerusalemers. And the Lord can call you sometimes by this name, my Jerusalem. Literally, it's the city of Jerusalem and the state of Israel. So when you go there to visit, your spirit knows this city is a shadow of the city to come. That's why you always want to return once you've been there. 
and we we believers we brides we expect to become citizens of the heavenly jerusalem revelation 21 verse 9 to 10 in galatians 4:26 we read but the jerusalem above the messianic kingdom of christ is free and she is our mother so we are born out of jerusalem This is a picture of the universal church. The church is the mother because she's given birth to the bride throughout the ages. But the bride is hidden in the church. The bride is a hidden mystery, and her glory shines all the brighter as we come to the end of this age. The banners, you are awesome as an army with banners, represents victory. He compares her with a victorious army because she passed the test of chapter 5. She understands Romans 8 verse 18 and 28. Let's read it. Romans 8 18. She says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present life, are not worth being compared with the glory of the Lord. that is about to be revealed to us in in us and for us and conferred on us this is paul speaking and he really knew suffering and he wants to get you bright to this place to say jesus i know that the sufferings of this present time what we are going through now whatever it may be it's still not worth to be compared with the glory that awaits us that will be revealed to us that is already conferred on us and romans 8:28 we are assured and we know that god being a partner in our labor all things will work together and are fitting into a plan his plan for good to and for those who love god and who are called according to his design and purpose who are called everyone who are called the bride is called the church is called then you better know my beloved that all things no matter what will work together it's fitting into a plan in jeremiah 29:11 he says i know the plans i have for you plans to prosper you not to harm you that's in the millennium if it's not here plans to give you a future and the hope he's working that plan out nothing will stop it if you know that you are called to be set apart to be his bride according to his design and purpose in hebrew 10:32 to 36 be mindful of the days gone by in which after you were first spiritually enlightened You endured a great and painful struggle sometimes being yourselves a gazing stock publicly exposed to insults and abuse and distress and sometimes claiming fellowship and making common cause with others who were so treated for you did sympathize and suffer along with those who were in prison and you bore cheerfully the plundering of your belongings and the confiscation of your property in the knowledge and consciousness that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession 
So do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. But you have need of steadfast patience and endurance, so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God, and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full that which is promised. This is where the bride is. After you get saved, trouble waits because you've got to carry, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. You endure great and painful struggles. But then you become spiritually enlightened and you understand all these things will work together. When you suffered, you were a gazing stock. People gazed at you mockingly. You were exposed to insults. Maybe you were abused. Sometimes you had fellowship, common cause with others who were also treated like that. Then you learned to sympathize and to suffer with those who are imprisoned for their faith. And then you had to bore cheerfully the plundering of your belongings. This is such a word, a now word for South Africa. I must confess, I'm not boring it cheerfully yet. The plundering of our belongings and the confiscation of our property. We have to get to the point of knowing consciously that I have a better and a lasting possession and property waiting for me. That is why we can have fearless confidence. And a fearless confidence carries great and glorious reward. So in Jesus' name we ask, help us, Holy Spirit, teach us steadfast patience. Teach us endurance, so that we may perform and accomplish fully the will of God and carry away the reward that is promised to us in the book of Revelation. You see, my beloved, the spirit of testing equips you and qualifies you to work not for him, with him. We are training for reigning. The banner also serves as a warning to the enemy that this bride is under godly authority. Where did she get the authority from? From her intimacy. She marches, dances, that's the same word, in her God-given position. And as long as she continues in this matter, she is able to stand against the hordes of the enemy and to overcome in the power of his name, as we read in Philippians 2, 9-11. Therefore, because he, Christ, stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in and at the name of Jesus every knee shall and must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will frankly and openly confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're living in a time where they don't want us to do this, to not declare the name of Jesus openly, fearlessly. But this is practicing time. Because in the millennium to come and in the eternity, 
whenever the four holy creatures would say, Holy, 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 everyone in heaven, on earth and under the earth has to admit Jesus Christ is Lord. Even in hell, they have to praise him. But the bride can't wait for them. We do it now already. The warrior bride is authorized through her intimacy with Jesus to show the enemy that she has been victorious. She has a very intimate lifestyle in the chamber. That's why the bridegroom describes her as awesome and terrible, for her love has reached maturity. Beloved, do you remember in chapter 2 when he invited her to go with him? And she was afraid of the leopards and the lions. And she did not want to know anything about spiritual warfare. And then she just obeyed by starting to wear the armor that her father-in-law, our father God, has given her. And now she's dancing. And then she is on her most awesomes. When he sees her like that. In Hebrew the word awesome has two meanings. Awesome as in very beautiful. And awesome as in terrible. She's both. She's both awesome and terrible at the same time. She's awesome and lovely to her bridegroom. Because of her spiritual maturity. And holiness. And she's terrifying in her holiness and authority to the enemy. It is sad that many believers have lost their holiness and their joy before the Lord. And if you lose either your holiness or your joy, consequently, your ability to terrify the enemy will also be lost. Compromising, my sister, my brother will cost you much. I believe this is where we have to end for tonight. Warrior bride. Maybe you feel like the shepherd girl. You do not understand everything with your mind. But your spirit is just taking it all in. Like honey. Your word is like honey on our lips. Your word is a lamp unto our path. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it. You did it all. All to you we owe. We are awesome as an army with banners to the enemy. It is you. It comes from times of intimacy with you. Because often we do not feel like that. But it's not about our emotions. It's about your word and the truth of your word. I have to confess, today was a rough day here. I had very little time to prepare. There was no place I could find silence. And I just had to push through. And as I came and sat here where we do the podcast in our office as we call it or our studio which is Dion's office I felt so tired 
and a pain in my neck and shoulders and overwhelmed knowing this is too much I can't do it in one evening I have to do it two parts don't know where I must break it and I just prayed a short prayer and I said to the Lord well I know it's something like 35 scriptures that we have to do apart from the whole text of Solomon which is also your word I'm sure some of them might hit the mark that was what I felt that's what, what I said and you know what he said he said what my daughter this is my word I sent forth my word and it heals and it hits the mark every scripture tonight will hit the mark and I felt so relaxed and I realized again it's him it's all about him you see performance is so in us because we live in this world where you have to perform in Afrikaans we say you must eat all in ways and I again had to learn the lesson just come and sit here and read the scriptures one after the other and it's arrows going out and they will all hit the mark and you know which arrows hit the mark for you tonight if there's some things you have to catch up with do it if you've fallen behind with the podcast go through it listen to it more than once do not <laughs> do not be in such a hurry to finish it such as I am in and every time I stumble over the same thing I really thought oh now it's just three more and then I know what I have to do after that but the Lord is slow in this process he's not in a hurry to finish this as a course he'll take with us as long as he needs to lay the strong foundation of the love of the bridegroom for his bride and her authority that only comes through intimacy we see a lot of puffed up authority in Jesus name but it's, there's no power there's no anointing we see a lot of recipes being followed try this do this but without intimacy there's no power and this is what he wants to sure I don't even I, I think he wants to seal us with it for a time such as this so stop fighting the coronavirus stop fighting the government praise the Lord for what we can praise him for knowing this is not my land this is not my country this is not my permanent home I'm just passing by and in the passing by have I done the will of God for my life and right now it's time to wake up all the daughters of Jerusalem to just love our bridegroom and his love will pour forth from our eyes from our touch from our words and we the brides 
will know each other by the Spirit. And it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That powerful experience. It's the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That dwells in you, my brother. That dwells in you, my sister. That dwells in me. No wonder we, we are just clay earth pots with cracks. And yet he finds us worthy. To let that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in us. And that spirit quickens your mortal body tonight. In Jesus name. Amen. Let us enjoy and joyfully, fearlessly, with confidence, read the statements of the precious blood of our Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from every curse. In Christ Jesus I am free from every curse and I am blessed with all blessings. I shall be blessed in my place and my affairs shall be blessed. I shall be blessed at my work and the fruits of my labors shall be blessed. I shall be blessed when I come in and when I shall be blessed when I go out. I don't know if you also have wondered. There's so many prophecies of things are changing and the Lord's going to bless us and all the works of our hand and the fruits of our labors will be blessed and the change is coming. And Maybe you're also a bit afraid that maybe it will not come. Then it's still the truth. Even if it does not come in this age, in the church age, even if you do not see it happening here in this life, in this world, know it will come in the peace reign. When we are here back with Jesus after the seven years, we will be blessed in every place we go. All our affairs shall be blessed. Right now, we can't say these things. It's not always true. But in the millennium, all the fruits of our labor will be blessed because earth will be restored. We will be blessed then, whenever we come in and when we go out. We're not living in a fallen world in the peace reign. We're living in a restored world. Right here on earth, the Lord will cause my enemies who rise up against me to be defeated before my face. Especially if he's got work for you to do. They will come at me from one direction but will flee from me in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on my bonds and on everything I put my hand to. And the Lord my God will bless me in the land he is giving me. We pray you will bless us in the land of South Africa that you are giving us. No matter the circumstances, our permanent land is in Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we will be blessed there. The Lord will establish me as his holy people. Then all the people on earth will see that I am called by the name of the Lord and they will fear me. 
Lord, right now we don't experience this. They do not fear us when we say we are called by your name. But when the fear of the Lord will come upon them, they will fear us. The Lord will grant me abundant prosperity. He will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on my land in season and to bless all the works of my hands. So I will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. Right now they don't lend to each other, Lord. The nations bind each other with chains when they borrow money. And they have political agendas when they help each other out with money, the countries. There's always something behind it. But in the peace reign, it will not be like that. The Lord will make me the head, not the tail. And I will always be at the top, never at the bottom. And we live in an atmosphere, Lord, where they want to make your children, the Christians, the tail, not the head. They are forcing us to be at the bottom, especially in the persecuted countries where there is openly persecution against your brides. They don't want them to be at the top. But we know, Lord, soon we will be at the top in the peace reign. The blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for me. Thank you, Lord. That was, that is, and that will forever be. Your blood covenant remains alive. The blood of Jesus has reconciled me too and granted me peace with God, with God the Father, peace with all people and with all creation. That speaks of the peace reign again, Lord. The blood of Jesus has granted me forgiveness of all my sins. Thank you, Jesus. The blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. The blood of Jesus justifies me from all condemnation, so all the accusations of the devil against me are nullified. He makes me righteous as though I have never sinned. There's nothing more that I can do for Jesus did it all. I'm righteous in him. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me and consecrates me. So I become belonging to my Lord. I'm dedicated to him. I'm set apart for his ministry as his bride to carry this word of intimacy and the coming wedding of the Lamb. To share it openly. The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from acts that lead to death so that I may serve the living God. It's never too late, my brother, my sister. Give it all to him. He will clean you. Stop sinning. Repent and he will clean your conscience that you will not be able to remember your sins. He washes it white as snow. The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place. The place of intimacy. The king's chamber. To serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus grants me victory over Satan and all his principalities. In the name of Jesus I have the victory. Who can tell what man can do? The blood of Jesus is the reason for my everlasting rejoicing.
in the church age, in the millennium, and in eternity, we will never stop praising and rejoicing and treasure your holy blood. Thank you, Jesus.